name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Today the church celebrates Pentecost Sunday, as we recall, the Lord's uh, giving the Holy Spirit to his church on earth, sending down the Holy Spirit in tongues of fire on his apostles on the first uh, Pentecost and sending his apostles out into the world to preach the gospel. So first, let's take a moment and just recall the, the historical event, the, the events of, of that first Pentecost. We can recall that Pentecost was actually a feast before it was a New Testament uh, church feast. So the Old Testament people were celebrating Pentecost. In fact, there were three festivals that the Israelites were required, or if they could, if they could make it down to Jerusalem to go to the temple, there were three festivals uh, that required them to go to Jerusalem. One of them was Pentecost. One was also the Passover. So as you think back to, to the first Passover, God leads his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, by that Passover event, out toward the wilderness, toward, through the Red Sea. They get to Mount Sinai, where the Lord gives them the Ten Commandments. And that's approximately 50 days, 50, 50 days after the Passover. So Pentecost, uh, where the means 50, Pentecost Sunday, or uh, the, the Feast of Pentecost, was the festival where the people of Israel recounted the Lord's giving of the Ten Commandments. It's also called the Festival of Weeks. Now that's significant because there would have been people from all over the known world down in Jerusalem for the Passover, the weekend that Jesus was crucified. Remember Jesus, it was, he was celebrating the Passover with his, with his disciples uh, the night when he was betrayed. So it was already Passover, and, and so a lot of the people that were there on Good Friday shouting, crucify him, were also people who have now been back in Jerusalem for Pentecost, the festival of weeks. So they're all gathered together from all over the, the known world, and they hear, as the text says from Acts 2, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. So this great, this great sound that was loud enough for people to hear it from all over Jerusalem because these people came from, it seems like, out of the woodwork to follow this sound, and they make it there to the room where the disciples were, where the Holy Spirit had descended upon them in tongues of fire, yet it didn't consume them, and they start speaking in tongues. Now that, that idea is kind of popularized wrongly uh, by like Pentecostalism churches where this, the notion of speaking in tongues is like a gibberish sound, like this, this, this language of the Holy Spirit that no one knows unless you are really on fire for the Holy Spirit or something like this. That's not, that's not the case in the scriptures because what's happening in Acts 2 is the people aren't just speaking gibberish, some made up language of the Holy Spirit, but they're actually speaking distinct languages because they're recognized by all those people who had gathered around. There's people from all over the known world. So as you can maybe think about, if you've ever, if you've ever uh, traveled abroad and you, and you find yourself in a place where like, you don't know the native language very well, and yet you hear everyone speaking, it sounds like gibberish, but you really need to find a bathroom. You know how that goes? And then all of a sudden you hear someone talking about what they had for breakfast that morning or something in your, in your native tongue, your mother tongue. It's this tremendous comfort for you. You can run out. You hear it. Like you, you light up. You hear your language. And that's the same way with these people. They've, they're from all over the, the world. They're down here. They, don't really, they can't really understand a lot of the stuff that they're hearing. Except for now, they've been they've drawn to this great sound, and they hear, they hear their native tongue. And what they hear is actually the mighty works of God. They hear the gospel. So they've come from all over the world. They're there in Jerusalem. They're gathered together for the disciples, and they hear the gospel uh, and we'd say maybe even the law and the gospel. 
And there the Holy Spirit is working to bring them into repentance. And they ask of, of Peter, and this isn't recounted in, in today's reading, what are we to do? They're struck to the heart. And they're brought to repentance, that is, they acknowledge their great sin. And they're brought to faith. They're, they're baptized. And then, believing in Jesus and having heard the gospel with their own ears and their own in their own language, they then go home. They go back to Egypt and Rome and all those, town, all those countries that are listed there in Acts 2 read. And they go back home and the gospel then spreads throughout the world on that first Pentecost. And so we rejoice uh, that that's the working of the Holy Spirit coming down, uh, bringing God's gospel into the language of the people and that gospel then going out into the world as the, as the church grows and spreads. Uh, the color of the church uh, for Pentecost always turns to red, remembering the tongues of fire that descended on, on the apostles on that first Pentecost. But as you might recall, in, in a couple weeks, we'll actually change o- over to green. And the entire Pentecost season, the long, like, next six months of the church of the Pentecost season, the color is green in the church, green symbolizing life and growth. That is the life and growth of the church as the Holy Spirit sends his gospel throughout the world. Now, as far as the work of the Holy Spirit goes, a lot of times we think about spirits. Spirits are necessarily things that you can't see or hear because sight and sound are physical characteristics. So the Holy Spirit is is really something in himself that's neither seen nor heard, and yet he wants to be seen and heard. And throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit makes himself present through the prophets, and the prophets speak God's words, and the Holy Spirit would be heard. The Holy Spirit makes himself visible as, as he descends on Jesus and his baptism in the form of a dove. Here in the, the Acts reading, he descends as fire, and he speaks of, of Jesus. He speaks the gospel. And so we know, we are to know that whenever we hear the gospel being spoken, we actually hear the word of the Holy Spirit, the speaking of the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, one of my seminary professors used to say that the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. That is, he doesn't like to talk about himself. And so as we look at the scriptures, we don't, we don't have too much information about the Holy Spirit because whenever the Holy Spirit is talking, he's not giving a, a biography about an autobiography, you know. Rather, he's actually talking about Jesus. So whenever the proclamation of Jesus, the gospel is being confessed, we know that the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit's not floating around in some abstraction or out in the clouds or something, but the Holy Spirit, for our, for our certainty, the Holy Spirit has bound himself and located himself to the proclamation of the gospel. So that we would know that even now as the gospel is being spoken and confessed, as we, as we confess that gospel to one another in our lives and in our homes, we know the Holy Spirit dwells therein and that the Holy Spirit works through that, through that word. Jesus also takes his gospel and he joins it to physical elements, and we call them the sacraments. Holy baptism, he joins his word to water, he joins his word to, to bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. He joins his, his spoken word to these physical things, promising that the Holy Spirit will be there, working there. And really, it is the, the location of the proclamation of the gospel and the giving out of God's gifts of word and sacrament, that's that's where the church is to be found. It's not just a building on Modaf, obviously, well, it's, but it's any place where the gospel is being spoken and the Lord's gifts are given out. And so we rejoice that uh, the Holy Spirit locates the church on earth for us, wherever the gospel is being confessed. 
And then the, the Apostles' Creed actually makes that clear. Today we confess the Nicene Creed. Next week we'll confess the Athanasian Creed. That's a super long creed. So bring a sandwich, you know, to get to the creed next week. Uh, but the, the Apostles' Creed is the shorter, the shorter of the creeds. And there it conf- we're confessing Jesus, all the things, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified down with his spirit. We get to the Holy Spirit. It just says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then nothing. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness. The Holy Spirit is known in the Lord's Church because it's here in the Lord's Church where the proclamation of the gospel is going forth. And there, therefore, we know with certainty that the Holy Spirit is working. We're not pointed into our guts, into our feelings. Like, do I feel the Holy Spirit working right now? Well, the Holy Spirit never talks that way. The scriptures never point us to our feelings. If it were up to our feelings, our feelings can be fickle and easily manipulated. But rather, the Lord points us outside of our feelings and to what we hear. We, we're, we're pointed to God's word. Like, well, is the Holy Spirit working in you today? Well, did you hear the gospel preached? Then yes, the Holy Spirit's working in you. Are you baptized? Do you bear the Lord's name? The Holy Baptist? Then yes, the Holy Spirit's working. Are you receiving the Lord's Supper today? Yes, the Holy Spirit's working through the Lord's gifts. And so we can say with certainty, regardless of feelings in ourselves, we know that the Holy Spirit is working in us. We're not left to guess or feel within. As the Catechism puts it, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. So we know that the Holy Spirit is the one that calls us together as the Lord's church opens our eyes to the gospel, strengthens our faith, keeps us in the true faith into life everlasting. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy One, makes us holy. So you are able to say that that I am holy. As you look in the mirror and you're looking at a sinner, you know there's a sinner there, and yet the Holy Spirit is within you and upon you. You bear the Lord's name, you bear the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying one, and he has therefore made you holy and set you in this world as a holy one to serve, to serve others. So those primary gifts of the Holy Spirit, the main work that he's given to do is to work through God's word and sacrament to bring about repentance, that is, knowledge of our, of our sin, an awareness of the depth of our problem, and an awareness of our Lord Jesus. Faith in Jesus, so repentance and faith, these gifts of the Holy Spirit, knowing our sin, and knowing the greatness of our Savior. So that's the, really the history of Pentecost and, and the continued work of the Spirit in our, in our, uh, among us still today. Now a quick word about uh, Christian spirituality in general. So there's a phrase that I think became popular probably in the 90s or so, and it is extremely prevalent today that you'll hear said, um, as someone will say, I am, I am spiritual, but I'm not Religious. You heard that phrase before? It's extremely common today. Uh, and, and so I'd like to take a moment and just kind of unpack what, what, what they mean by that or what we think they mean by that and, and uh, how we maybe can respond as the Lord's Church as we're given opportunity in our, in our families and in our relationships. So, so first, yeah, this idea of being spiritual, not religious, is kind of based on this premise, the starting argument, that religious is necessarily bad. It's dead. You don't want to be religious. That's like, that's, that's binding God to some kind of a book, some doctrine, some, some teaching. And uh, it's not really talking about my feelings or what's going on within me. 
Because a lot of times when people think about spirituality, they're thinking about their emotions, their what's within themselves. And so I don't want to talk about a book or some kind of proclaimed gospel about God. Um, that seems so dead and so spiritless. And even more, I think that one of the main reasons why it's so prevalent today is when you bind yourself to a religion, when you confess a religion to be true, you're actually saying that other religions are necessarily false. They're mutually exclusive. You can't be both a Jew and a Christian at the same time. You can't be a Muslim and a Christian at the same time. So when, you, when you're saying that you are a Christian, it's cutting yourself off from all these other confessions of faith. It's necessarily, in, from our, from our uh, culture's perspective, it's offensive to say such things today. So to bind yourself to a religion, to bind yourself to an authoritative teaching of God is this offensive thing. And so to be spiritual is to say, I don't want to commit myself to one or another. It's going to be too offensive, but rather I can take a scoop out of every, every spot on the buffet and kind of fashion my own, my own religion. If you are spiritual and not religious, your God doesn't have a name. Think about that. Your God has not spoken. He hasn't revealed himself into this world. And therefore, you, you can't pray to him. You don't know what to call him. You don't even know if it's a him. <laughs> you don't know what he thinks about you. You don't know what's going on. You don't, uh, and this God is a, is a mute God, a silent God. He's been made silent, so you, he hasn't revealed himself to us at all. So if you were to ask someone, well, how do you know, someone who's calling himself spiritual and not religious, how do you know that there's a God? They're going to say to you, well, I just feel it. And then you say, well, so how do you, how do you know what is good and bad or right and wrong? What, what's your ethical system based upon? They'll say, well, you just feel it. So it's driven back into one's feelings, within one's self. And that's a dangerous place to start fashioning up religions. So think about it like this. So if I'm the one who's determining what is good and evil based on what I feel in my heart, well, as we know, my heart is sinful. And my heart wants to strive toward bad things and sinful things. So if my heart is the one that's telling me what is good and bad based on what I feel, that starts to be a pretty dangerous, a dangerous spirituality, does it not? And so instead of, instead of the Lord pointing us into our hearts for some kind of blind spirituality where I fashion God after my likeness, the kind of God I want him to be, God has actually spoken to us He's revealed his name to us with a certainty. We know who God is. He's not vague. We're not praying into abstractions, but he has spoken to us. He has ordered this world. He's given us his, his commandments as a gift. He's set up before us right and wrong, good and evil as a wonderful gift. And even more so, he has given us the gospel. That's something that's only heard. You can't find the gospel in your heart. It's a historical event of Jesus dying and rising from the dead. It has to be confessed and spoken. It can't be felt within. It has to be told to someone. And so the Lord doesn't point us into our hearts. There's nothing there but uncertainty and really despair as we know our sin, the depth of our sin. And so rather than looking within, the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel so that we would know our sin, the depth of our need for a Savior, and be turned in repentance to Jesus who forgives our sins. So that's, the, I think, maybe a helpful way to respond as we encounter this in our relationships and conversation for someone who identifies as, as spiritual but not religious. I'm sure they mean well. 
But maybe a way in would simply say, well, what do you mean by spiritual? What do you mean by religious? And let them unpack that for you. But then really say, well, if God's only spiritual and hasn't really talked to us in any way, then how do you even know anything about him? How do you know that he's there? How do you know that, how do you know that he even cares about you? I don't know about you, but I'm, my God actually has spoken into this world. He's revealed himself to me, and I know that he loves me. That's something you're able to say. Your God has not left himself up in the clouds into some vague abstraction, but he has actually made himself known to you. You can pray to him personally with a name. He has promised to be with you by that name. And you know that he loves you. You know how he feels towards you, regardless of how you feel in your heart, regardless of what you might see happening in your life. You know that your God loves you because Jesus has died for you. He is merciful toward you. He orders this world, he has forgiven our sins, and continues to grant us repentance and faith. So we rejoice this day in the gift of the Holy Spirit, the continued working among us at Bethany by the Holy Spirit, the Word and Sacrament, and, and really the church throughout the world. Wherever the Lord causes his, his Word to be confessed, his gifts to be given, we know the Holy Spirit is there, bringing about repentance and faith according to his will. As the kids sang earlier, Holy Spirit, light divine, shine upon this heart of mine. Chase away, chase the shades of night away, turn the darkness into day. So we pray the Holy Spirit will continue to chase the darkness of sin out of our hearts and out of our world and have us fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen. We stand for prayer.